This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is Season 7, and every week this season, we'll bring you fresh content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations, and our main goal in everything we do, including this podcast, is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we get into today's main content about engaging with the next generation, I want you to know about a related resource called Leaving a Legacy. It's a free ebook at discipleship.org slash ebooks, and it's written by Bobby Harrington with a foreword by Robert Coleman. The special resource describes 10 leadership characteristics from the life of Billy Graham. You should check this out at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Scroll down and find leaving a legacy as you think about today's content from Leadership Network. We're featuring Leadership Network's track from the National Disciple Making Forum called Reaching, Raising, and Retaining the Next Generation. Today's session is called Engaging Millennials 101, featuring Grant Skeldon and Monica Zuniga. We're going to get started. I'm going to pray for us. Um, Read a couple of these. If you guys didn't hear... Uh, we'd still love to get your feedback. You can go on your phone to menti.com, type in the code 253606, and then answer this question for us. We want to know your name, what city you're from, and what brought you to this track. I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to dive in. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to um, pause from our busy lifestyles and weeks to build um, tools and resources in our tool belt to be more effective at not just reaching the next generation, God, but discipling them and turning them into disciple makers so that we can continue to reach Gen Z and the generations to come. Uh, Father, I just pray over every person in this room. I thank you for their um, willingness to learn and to grow and to develop the gifts that you've given them, God, to reinvent themselves, God, to re-engage, to continue to feel the burden and weight for the millennial and Gen Z generation to know you intimately and deeply and to walk with you. Father, I pray that um, the words that we say today not just be um, practical and helpful, but God, may they penetrate each individual's heart in this room to hear from you and to know that um, you see them, you love them, you're so proud of them and the work that they're doing and the spheres that they're doing it. We love you. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay, so um, we're pretty excited. You guys all wrote in some amazing things. Some of you have family, um, some kids that are in in the millennial generation you're trying to reach. Um, Some of you actually built buildings to reach the next generation. You have a whole service dedicated to them. Some of you um, are from the UK. I'm like, what? I saw a lot of New York on the screen as well. And yes, New York. Love New York. Um, And some of you are just trying to reach your coworkers, trying to reach fellow, you're trying to reach your peers. And others of you are actually leading and influencing them. And so we're excited because I think today we're going to have a lot uh, to unpack. So we're going to dive on into it. I'm going to turn over to Grant Skeldon. I'm Monica Zuniga, by the way. I'll do a brief intro of myself and then Grant can do one of, of him as well. But um, I work with Grant with Initiative Network and I'm an associate of Leadership Network, which is hosting this track. And so we, uh, Grant and I both get to do a lot of speaking uh, to a lot of the cohorts and groups on rep- representing um, Leadership Network. We talk to pastors, talk to leaders like yourselves pretty regularly on how to reach, raise, and retain the next gen. And then we actually run a ministry that hosts um, retreats and gatherings and mentorship and discipleship. And 
Uh, we are composed of a network of about, of about 100 next-gen leaders, and these next-gen leaders are um, no um, not small, they're huge. Uh, combined, we speak to over um, 1.8 million audience a year, and we also have a reach of over 124 million a year combined. So this group is featured on Instagrams like Kim Kardashian's to um, speakers, authors, they're on television shows, movies you love. They love Jesus, and we have the honor of convening them and pouring into their lives and trying to use that percentage of, of influence to reach the world. And so we're here today speaking from our experience, our own hiccups, our own, um, our own pain with the next generation as well to really encourage and inspire you. And so Grant's going to lead us out, and I'll share with you guys in a little bit. But thanks for being here. Awesome. What's up, y'all? Hey, okay, so a couple things. Um, just to get us in this is like breakout instead of just a, a monologue. How many of you guys uh, have millennial children? Okay. How many of you guys have millennial grandchildren? What's the age so that's a good way to start. Um, <laughs> someone born between 1980 to 2000, generally, maybe give three to five years either way. Um, how about uh, you employ quite a bit of millennials? Like they work under you. Okay. How is that going for you guys? Pretty good? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hit or miss for sure. Uh, another thing I, I wanted to highlight, one of the things that I, my favorite comment probably of all these were... Uh, who is Kyle Thurman? Where you, dude? I like your answer. Where you just wrote straight up all caps, like yeah. You're like I am a millennial, and this is all caps anyway. Um, well, forty four of y'all did it. Okay, so um, let's get into the message, I guess, and we'll we'll look at yours, Kyle, later. Um, okay, so uh, real quick, what word do you guys like associate and think comes to mind when you think of millennials, like right now? And let's just be honest, I'll be the first one to say it. Millennials are frustrating, right? Amen. You can say that. We, you know, I already, we already know you think that. Uh, so let's just, just start there. Like, no one came here because, well, a few people came here. Most of y'all came here because it's a difficult spot, not because it's like marriage books. They tend to be, like, re-engaged. It's like we read marriage books, go on marriage retreats, a lot of that, usually because there's a problem, um, not always preventative. And so in my... Uh, it's fine. And I'll say we are millennials that are frustrated and struggle with millennials. Um, with all that being said, what words come to mind? Digital? Narcissistic? No, that's fine. Totally. Underachievers? Underachievers? Overachievers? Poor, someone said. I've never got that one. They are, though. That's really good. I would even say broke. I would say in debt. <laughs> like negative. Negative poor. <laughs> How many? Searching, student loan debt, entitled, imprecise, that's, good. that's a big one, apathetic, lost, any, all right, let's say some good words now, then you golly, it's like, well, let's, let's just pray, any good words, passionate, okay, resourceful, that is true, adventurous, Knowledgeable, yeah. Risk takers. Risk takers. Relentless. Relentless. All right, all right. These are good. These are good. I think uh, it would be good. I think we'll be doing, I guess, every one of our groups. We're going to go through several different tracks. I know there's a ton of other tracks, but there's just so many angles on what makes it difficult to reach millennials. But there's also a ton of good things that make it easier to leverage millennials. Like, uh, y'all talk about risk taker, adventure, 
um, all these different words. I think this generation actually wants the church to be the church more than other generations. In the case of like, they're dying for the church to get back to the main thing. I mean, for you guys, uh, if you're here, you're here because you have a heart for discipleship. Um, there's, I'll just get straight to it. Is that I, I don't think we actually have a millennial problem as much as I think we have a discipleship problem. And if we could fix that discipleship problem, we won't have a Gen Z problem as big. And that, I don't know if you guys know what generation is coming after Gen Z. Because, by the way, there's a secret is that millennials are kind of old at this point. Um, you guys think of millennials like us, but there's like 38-year-old millennials at this point. Like, they're almost 40, but we still picture them like the young single person. Um, and so we should be start, we should start, we should have started talking about Gen Z quite a while ago. Um, and so there was Xers, then there was Gen Y, which is um, us, then there's Gen Z, which is entering college, and then after that, apparently Jesus is going to come back. Um, <laughs> but I don't know why they started at X. Um, and so actually they're calling the generation after Alpha Generation, uh, or Gen Alpha. Uh, and then I would ever want to be Gen Beta, uh, or the Beta Generation. It's a, it, doesn't, it sets up certain generations poorly. But all that to say, these words associated, I want to give you a perspective as a millennial Christian. What is it like to be associated with the church? Because um, these are some of the words that are associated with the church right now. Um, yeah, here it is. If you go on to, uh, sorry, if you go on to Yahoo, if y'all remember back in the day, Yahoo, I know mm-hmm. some of y'all still have Yahoo emails. Um, if you look up, why are Christians so, these are the most popular searches that will come up for these, these are the most popular that people are wondering about us as the church or Christians. And so when a young person decides to be a Christian, it isn't necessarily seen as a good thing. I mean, just so the, for the people that can't see or don't have their glasses, um, <laughs> why are Christians so stupid? Why are Christians so judgmental, hateful, mean, intolerant, judgmental, self-righteous, unhappy, or annoying? Um, I'm going to put in the letter M. Why are Christians so mean, miserable, mean to non-Christians, mean to each other, and just mean-spirited? Next letter is A. Why are Christians so annoying, arrogant, afraid of Muslims, angry, against yoga, (laughs) awful, afraid to die, against evolution, and afraid of dying? It is interesting that afraid of dying, like when we're Christians... And then there is a good one. I found a good word. L. Why are Christians so loving? Followed by lukewarm. <laughs> and sometimes I've searched it and it will have legalistic. And so, again, you got you to gotta realize when we're talking about Christians, young people, identifying themselves as a Christ follower, as you guys already know, a lot of people aren't just, uh, a lot of people don't have an issue with God. They had an issue with church. And they have like a story with the Christian or God, uh, with the Christian or the church. And, and I heard this word actually just a couple weeks ago was, you know, they started to talk a lot about how there's the rise of nuns in um, America right now. Like nuns, like no spirituality. But I've actually, there's a word I heard of, there's actually duns. And I would say this is what I think a lot of millennials and Gen Z are, especially millennials. It's like, no, I have experienced church and I just don't, I'm done. Like I, I tried it. it. It wasn't for me or I had a terrible experience. Um, I don't have enough time to show you my first experience, but it was, it was funny. And so here's um, what I'll get into is we're going to talk a lot about, and when we talk about millennial 101, the best thing you could ever do to reach the next generation 
is not get skinny jeans. Uh, luckily, I know you guys don't want to get skinny jeans. We don't want you to get skinny jeans. No one wins when either of us, like when you get skinny jeans, okay? And that's, I think hopefully for y'all, it's a relief. It's like, good, I did not want to do that. doesn't mean you need to get, um, put a lot of effort into your Instagram. It doesn't mean that you need to get Hillsong level worship. Um, it doesn't mean you have to do all these superficial things because the reality is like all these things may work for, let's say, five years, maybe 10 years. And then it's going to shift. And what once was like really cool is not anymore. Um, and sometimes this just like looks actually really, really weird and awkward. For example, my best friend, I'll be flying back tomorrow to be in his wedding. My best friend, John Pinnegrass, got saved through something called the bus ministry. Are you guys familiar with it? For young people, a lot of them never see. I've heard see you young people saying no. Let me tell you all what the bus ministry is. It's actually hilarious. Um, so the bus ministry back in the day in like the eighties, apparently in seventies, um, I don't know. That's what I hear. These are the legends that I hear. There used to be, there used to be someone coming around on a bus into the neighborhood, right? And then come out and give the kids candy in the, in the neighborhood. And then while giving the kids candy, say, Hey, I'm going to come back on Sunday. I'll bring some more candy for you and then get into my bus and I'm going to take you to church. <laughs> that worked. People got legit saved. No, I'm dead serious. It, it existed. And, and, and God used it. <laughs> like Mr. Ray, my, my, my best friend got saved through Mr. Ray. It's not the beginning of the new It movie. Uh, this is a ministry that works for the glory of God. Yes, ma'am. I think that one of the flaws with that ministry, though, was that the parents just put their kids <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do parents trust like that anymore? (laughs) And so here's the point. Billy Graham said the methods always change, but the message stays the same. But there is one method that I will say it will never change and it will always work. And that is the method of discipleship. It's simply go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If you disciple a millennial or especially a young single, that's the best time to disciple someone because they have what you don't have anymore. It's called time. You, like, I've never met a married person with a full-time job and kids who's wondering this weekend, man, I need to think about what I'm going to do with my free time this weekend. Like, most of y'all are going to be checking emails through this conference. You already have been answering emails while at a conference that you paid for. You're going to be doing phone calls. Like, we are busy, but they aren't. Like, they have time. My brothers are married with kids and it's like, it takes, it took about 30 minutes to get his four daughters in the car to go to Chipotle, not, not to Chipotle, in the car. And then he wanted to give up. And he's like, can we just cook? And I'm like, no, we have committed 30 minutes to get them in the car at the same time. Close the doors and let's go. Like, it's, it's, it's difficult. But for a young single, I mean, you guys, you guys have, and I'm, as if, if I'm talking to the older generation or older people, and I know people don't like pe- being called old people. So when I talk to chronologically superior people, um, you guys have network and relationship. You guys have resources and finances because Lord knows young people don't have resources. We are broke, poor, double broke. Um, But the biggest thing you guys have that we do not have and cannot get, at least not microwaved, is wisdom. You just can't just get that. It takes time. It takes failure. It takes experience. And I think the enemy wins when he gets a generation with resources, with network. Because how many young people are looking for a job? And I'm like, well, who are your friends? Well, these guys, do they have a good job? Well, no, they're looking for a job too. 
There's a correlation. Like, stop hanging out with just young people. That I liken that to Lord of the Flies. Like, they, we, Piggy is going to die. Um, Piggy is dead. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Lord of the Flies, um, you, you literally had to read that book um, for school. So, spoiler alert, um, it was required reading that's on you. And it's decades old. But we need your generation because what we have is we have passion, like you just said. Add young people, especially a ton of them, to anything that's kind of dying, and it brings new life to it. It brings new energy to it. They have creativity. How many babies have you seen teaching their grandma how to use a phone? Mm-hmm. Babies. Like, I, even me, I, I got a phone when I was, like, in seventh or eighth grade, and it was, like, the, the one that vibrated so loud you could, like, hear it in the back. It, I didn't grow up with phone, but Gen Z is teaching. They have a new perspective, or they're just creative because that's what comes from young people. But most importantly, young people have is time. And so what if we get young people's time connected to your wisdom? But the problem is, and the reason why you're probably here in this whole conference is, again, we don't have a millennial problem. We have a discipleship problem. Is that we don't have unity in relationship between the older generations and the younger generations. And I think this next gen, especially the young singles, they are so anxious. They're struggling with comparison, or some would say OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. And they are looking at everybody else and they're switching their jobs. I don't know if you know, but the average millennial has a trajectory to have 14 jobs by the age of 40 years old. And so they are moving in. uh, One of my mentors said, uh, you're always in a healthier place when your heart is uh, light and your feet are heavy. And I would say millennials feet are very light and their heart is very heavy. They're like racing for the new thing. Oh, if I move here, if I do this, or I switch over here, then that will then bring a lighter heart. Um, Instead of, I'm going to plant my feet, and it's going to lighten my heart. Um, And that's where we need you guys that is like, I've been there. I've I've seen that. Amen? Everyone good? And so if I could be Pope for a day, what I would say is, what if we could all get a red hat? I really think this would work. You get a red hat, and on that red hat, simply put this phrase right here. Make the commission great again. <laughs> I think it could work. I, the, the Lord gave that to me in my sleep. I was just like, that was a vision. It wasn't inspired by anything else, just, just me. And then so I, I saw this guy took it from me, though. Uh, so what do I mean by mentorship and discipleship? Uh, mentorship and discipleship are different. Both are highly impactful, but they are different. To me, uh, mentorship is if you say, come and meet with me. Discipleship is come and follow me. For me, I had I got saved March 8, 2006, the first time I went to church, like because I wanted to go. And then um, two weeks later, I had a man disciple me. And for about two years almost, he had me. I, he poured into me. He took me under his wing. And um, I never met with him but two times in about two years. But I joined him regularly and went into his world and his life. Monica's going to talk a lot more about the practical side of that. Um, and so my hope is what if we could start making this type of person the scorecard is where we say, you know, this is a pastor in uh, Seattle. We were speaking and consulting his church in uh, Bellevue Presbyterian Church. And I knew that uh, Scott had discipled this kid right here, who is the pastor of one of the largest Presbyterian churches in Dallas called Highland Park Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. He started pastoring at 34 years old. It's an extremely wealthy church in one of the richest neighborhoods in America. And I said, did you, dis- I knew you discipled him. I said, is that the kid that he discipled? And he, he smiled. He's like, yeah. And I said, is that the guy who discipled you? And he said, exactly. And it, apparently they went on a retreat because they had never met each other before. Mm-hmm. Like this dude right here had never met even this guy, let alone knew about this guy. 
And I was like, "Is what if this could be more of our scorecard in the church? Mm-hmm. And less of just this, actually. Because I think, um, going back to this whole idea, we don't say, come and meet with me. We don't say, come and disciple me. We just say, come and listen to me. And you're t- saying that to a generation that content is so easily accessible that they don't have to go to church to get that anymore. But there will ne- there there just can't be an app for discipleship in the form of follow me discipleship, and there won't be an app that can truly give significant, genuine, close relationships either. And so the thing that we give as the church, the product that we make, which is disciples, is the thing that I think this next generation is dying for. We just have to make the commission great again. We have to get back to this. And one of the questions I always ask is, why is the most cause-oriented generation in the world right now not connecting to the most cause-oriented organization in the world right now, the church? And the thing I can conclude is, it's maybe because the most cause-oriented organization in the world right now, the church, has neglected its cause. And so how do we create a scorecard? I would say, uh, make this guy or make this type of person the hero, Um, not just how good can you speak? Because the reality is most people are not called to be speakers. And that's a good thing. Um, Real quick, I want to show this too, is speaking isn't even the number one way people learn. Like if you're familiar with the learning pyramid, this is used in the education world, but there's the retention rate, the average retention rate for a lecture for one of these is 5%. Like if I asked y'all to come up here and repeat the three main points from even your sermon three weeks ago, you would kind of struggle because that's three weeks ago. How much more for all these different messages in the most saturated content, just throwing content and advertising and everybody is trying to reach millennials. No one's trying to disciple them. That will, that will set you apart from everybody else. Everyone's talking about them. Everyone is trying to give them messages or market to them. What if you're like the one person that, you know, I don't really want anything from you. I just want to say, follow me so I can make you, maybe you don't say a fisher of men, but she's like, I want to make you a better husband or a better wife, or I want to make you a better father, a better mother, a better leader. They are hungry for that because college isn't really giving that. I mean, college right now has a better guarantee of putting your kid into debt than getting them a job. You have the advantage. There's so many things where you have the advantage if you choose the discipleship route. As you see, I mean, going to small groups, yes, but the best way you can actually retain something is teaching them to teach others. And I think for each of you guys here, I bet you have a couple stories of mentorship or discipleship where you can, if you think, who who are three people in your life that if you remove those older people from your life, it totally shifts the trajectory of your story? Do y'all know who those people are? Like, take them out, and you're a different person. You remember those moments. Like, they're unforgettable moments with those people, but you often can't remember the sermon from a month ago. And so those things are more meaningful. Like, Jesus didn't have a ton of stories, at least from the Bible that we see, where he's trying to get everyone together to hear a sermon. But we have a ton of stories of his experiences with the disciples. Amen? You guys get it? And so um, what this could look like for me, um, is basically how do we turn, uh, this is a, a kind of a discipleship ramp, if you will. Uh, for how many of y'all are on staff at a church? Okay, good deal. One of the questions I always get asked is, what's one of the best things we can do to reach the next generation or shift the culture towards discipleship? And I would say simply this one thing. Now, this one thing will lead to a whole bunch of other things, but I'll tell you, 
if you start here, this is a great place to start, is measure discipleship. Simply measure it. Until you measure discipleship, it's hard for me to say you care about discipleship because we measure what matters most. A mentor of mine once said, what you count and what you celebrate creates your culture. And so in your church, there's a guy, Jim Simbola, old school pastor in New York, Brooklyn Tabernacle. He said, what we count in the church is butts, budgets, and buildings. And, and, but I, I've found a lot of churches do not count or measure how many disciples they make. In fact, I get asked often what churches are doing well at making disciples. And I'm like, until they start measuring it, how can I tell you if they're doing well or not doing well? They just, the word that's usually associated with discipleship is, oh, great. I know we should. I, it's good to measure it, but we have more of a, there's a word organic that's associated. We have an organic approach. And there's four calls in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, teach, and baptize. You guys, these are the call to action. Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every single one of these we are very strategic with, except for discipleship. Like, we're not organic with missions and going. We don't say, hey, uh, Pastor, I want to go to India and reach. Oh, great. Go find a way, like find a hostel or Airbnb, find some group to help. Just go in the streets and just talk to people and it would be helpful. And you, oh, you figure out you need a translator. Like, we don't just let them organically do that, do we? But that actually could hurt uh, the mission actually more than help. Like, we partner with strategic partners. We get translators. We figure out how to help what the church is already doing rather than just creating our own stuff there. Um, we don't just say organically go baptize yourself. We have... We have weekends dedicated to it, classes to make sure you know what you're getting into, and teaching. Does anyone have an organic approach to teaching this Sunday? Just like, hey, who's feeling it this morning? <laughs> do y'all do that? I've yet to see the church that takes an organic approach towards uh, teaching. But discipleship, oh, we just really have an organic. We want it to happen through small groups. Okay, well, how many, how, what's the, uh, how much is it happening in the small groups? How many disciples have been made in 2018 through your small groups? Well, yeah, organic, remember? Um, here, I'm only half Mexican, y'all. But I swear, organic must be Spanish for, well, we really don't have any plan at all. But we legitimately hope it does work. Like, we want it to. But we don't put the effort to make a plan for it. That's what organic must mean. Or in, in Greek, I, I didn't get the Greek, but maybe someone can tell me in the Hebrew or something. Organic means spiritual finger crossing. Um, and so, what I'm not saying, it's my issue with, this whole approach is that why would we do discipleship so organically when Jesus did it so strategically? Like he didn't just cross his fingers. And he also didn't start a small group, by the way, because the small group comes out of discipleship, not before discipleship. In my opinion, I know small groups are easier to manage than discipleship, but Jesus started discipling individuals in that formed a small group. He didn't start a small group and find individuals to disciple there. That's the very reverse of what we tend to do. And so, um, last in finishing, I'll say, going back to this whole concept of who's really good at measuring stuff are businesses like uh, people that sell knives, people that sell Arbon, uh, Amway. You know, like these multi-level marketing people. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you haven't seen them since high school and on Facebook, they reach out to you all of a sudden and they're like, hey, are you interested in knives? Because that's a, <laughs> that's a great way to sell knives. Um those people, for all we make fun of it, they are still extremely hardworking. And I think one of the great things that those groups do is they give those people, like Mary Kay, very clear goals and outcomes. Like, you get here, you get a pink Cadillac. Or you get here, like, your your uh, diamond, no, your ruby, your diamond, double diamond, infinity stone. It just keeps growing <laughs> over more and more. 
And we need for our people to know, you know, church is more than just showing up every week. Um, I joke so much is that most pastors end every sermon like, guys, you next week before you leave, don't forget next week we got this new series and you we always say this and we don't want to miss it, man. So they come back next week and after that sermon, then they say, hey, before you leave, guys, next week we got a new sermon and you don't want to miss it. So next week comes back. Luckily, it's different this time. And so they say, hey, guys, before you leave next week, it's not different. It's the exact same thing. Sorry. And so they say next week, you don't want to miss it. And that's church forever as we just do that over and over and over again. And this generation is so uninspired by that kind of Christianity. But you show them how you can go and change the world, which is the Great Commission. They actually are attracted for whatever reason to causes. And there's no bigger cause than the gospel moving through the people of God through the church. And so let's not get them in a place. This is same type of process. It's called metamorphosis. Um, it's where I think what happens is like frogs, we get them where there's a whole process, eggs, embryo, tadpole, tadpole with two legs, tadpole with four legs, and then a frog. We get them saved as an egg, then get them to join a church. And at best we get them as a tadpole to serve and then just keep doing that over and over and over again and give. But there is actually a lake that got very contaminated and these people got, oh, sorry, not these people, these tadpoles got stuck as tadpoles. And so they, all they could do is they couldn't go to the next stage. All they could do is grow bigger, like really big tadpoles. And I'm going to show you guys a really beautiful picture of a tadpole. Um, so this is one of the tadpoles. Is it just grew and grew and it is stuck. It will never transform to the next stage. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't think anyone wants to go to a church full of people like that. Um, and by the way, I know some of y'all looking at this room probably struggle with alcohol. And so uh, I got this for y'all. Um, <laughs> but y'all, we God has not called us to be that. You guys don't want that. We don't want that. The church and especially the next generation is dying to be a part of a cause. Uh, God has called us to be fishers of men. So let's not just instead create very obese tadpoles, but create fishers of men. Um, I know this is what y'all want, and I'm going to bring up Monica to share some more. But, uh, yeah, we, we need y'all. We cannot do what we're doing as a generation without y'all. And we're sorry for not always being hungry and humble to ask you for your advice. But if you are not patient with us like Jesus was with the disciples and persistent with us like Jesus with the disciples, the kind of disciples he called Satan once, yeah. um, that he like, then, then we're going to miss it. Like we're going to miss an entire generation. So thank you all. Awesome. Give it up for Grant, y'all. Okay, so we're going to keep going. I am I am the queen of practicality, so I'm going to dumb this down for you guys, give you some examples, some really practical tools to put some of this into play. We just talked about we don't have a millennial problem. We have a discipleship problem. You're here to learn to do that. So what's your next step? You might be thinking you don't have uh, – well, that's supposed to be young, not young – Young leaders willing to be disciples. You don't know where to start. You don't have the bandwidth or time. This is too big of an undertaking. You tried something similar and it didn't work. Many of you are have spun your wheels. That's why you're here. So we want to acknowledge that we are difficult, as Grant said. We want to acknowledge that there are challenges that you're facing every day. But what I'm going to share with you guys are uh, just some really exciting things. We want you to reinvent yourself. Um, so who remembers this thing? Okay. I had one. Who had the one that didn't skip? It was like, that was the bomb. Like you could go on a run with that thing, but it was also very like non-practical to carry this thing, to go on a run with it and, and like hope your CD didn't skip. And then you have like only 10 songs to choose from. And you're like, 
well, I'm going to keep these 10 songs over and over while I'm training for a marathon. Well, something happened back in like 2002, and this revolutionized the world. Um, the first iPod, now a thousand songs on one device. This thing is a brick. Like it's, it's crazy that like this is what we thought was unbelievable. But Apple reinvented something old. This ex- exact same thing just put into a different packaging that allows you to have the same experience as you're listening to music. And now we have AirPods, which to me are the craziest thing in the world that they fit everybody's ear. And I could go on like a five mile run and they don't fall out. I do not know how these people keep reinventing themselves, but they do. And one thing that I want to encourage you guys on to think about and all these stories I'm going to share, these practical tips, this is, there's nothing new under the sun. Scripture says there's nothing new I'm about to share with you. It's just people who have used their creativity, tapped into how the world has developed and changed and reinvented very basic principles of discipleship that have been applicable and have shown fruit for the next generation. So um, we're going to talk about how to uh, reinvent yourself in your staff culture, your belonging culture, your programming culture, and then your person to person culture today. So let's start with staff culture. Uh, I have been a part of a church in Dallas, the first church that really discipled me, gave me the first mic, um, had women really invest in my life. I mean, I was there for six years. They're unbelievable. Um, Covenant Church, if you haven't heard of it, I encourage you to go. Super diverse, great teaching. Uh, After being there for about a year and a half, I get a letter in the mail, and it's from the church. And I think it's like a generic, here's your giving statement for the year. I open it up. It's from our senior pastor, and it's like handwritten to me. I've never met the guy or had a conversation with him. This church is a five-campus church, 10,000-plus members, okay? I open up the letter, and he says, Monica, I just want to say thank you so much for everything you're doing at our church. You know, this pastor has told me about you. This pastor has told told me about you. I know you're serving faithfully. I know you're giving faithfully. We appreciate your time, your service, all of that. I'm blown away because I'm like, I didn't even know you knew I existed, much less that I got a letter from you. So what do I do? I asked my pastors who uh, discipled me at the time. This is Ryan and Amanda Leek. They are over a young adult ministry at the church. And I said, hey, I got this letter. What's this about? And um, they said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, the pastor does that. He occasionally honors people. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, and at the time, I started to put pieces together. Like, it's kind of weird that I got this letter. I was asking other friends if they got letters who were leaders. They're like, yeah, we got letters too. And I was like, this is really weird. And so Ryan and Amanda, when I first came to the church, took me under their wing, discipled me. I, I've shared this at other events. I mean, there are times when I'd go to their house and Amanda would be like, let me see your phone. And she'd just go through it, you know, to check who am I texting? What's going on? What am I looking at? Like, what is my week looking like? What's my schedule like? This is the kind of relationship I had with them. Well, through unbeknownst to me, I'm just going through life serving. I get a, a call from this woman. Amaryllis. Um, she is a pastor at one of our other campuses. Um, and she reached out to me and said, Hey, I've just heard a lot of amazing things about you. Uh, she found me on Facebook. She's like, I'd love to grab coffee with you. I, I knew who she was. I was like, heck yeah, I'd love to go to coffee with you. So I ended up meeting with her, building a relationship with her family. Not even a month later, I get another, um, Sorry, your disc is almost full, Grant. Um, Get another woman reach out to me. This is Christina. And Christina actually goes to the another campus at our church, too. 
And she's like, hey, Monica, I worked in I worked in the same city that she lived in. She said, hey, I know you work in the city I live in. Would just love to, to grab dinner or coffee with you. Her and I, she moved to Arizona, but her and I are still in touch to this day. What I ended up finding out is that the church would have a staff meeting and they would sit down and ask all of the head pastors, who is one young leader that we need to know and connect with? And so what happened was Ryan and Amanda at that meeting, Amaryllis was there, said Monica. And then they said, okay, who's going to meet with Monica? We need someone to volunteer to reach out to her. Someone else on our staff needs to connect with her. After that person connected with her, which was Amaryllis, then Amaryllis with her leaders at her campus said, hey, I have a girl that someone else needs to reach out to. And Christina volunteered to do it. So this is in their staff DNA and culture. It's being intentional enough to say, Who's the person? Let's have more than one individual connect with them and take them to dinner, take them to lunch, invest in their lives. A very practical way for you and your staff culture and your DNA to celebrate the young people who are doing things, to build relationship with them, and to encourage more than just one person to build a connection. As much as all of these people have influenced my life, I have different relationships with each of them. They've all discipled me differently. They are all in different stages of life. Christina's an empty nester with no kids. Ryan and Amanda just had their second baby. And Amaryllis, her kids are teenagers. They're all in totally different seasons of life. So they have different abilities and capacities to pour into my life and to, to reach me. So this is one way on your internal culture and internal touch, whether it's your organization or your church, to build community there and to reach the next gen. Okay, belonging culture. Um, some of you may have heard about this church. Maybe you haven't. It's in Dallas as well. There's 4,800 churches. So a lot of these examples are coming from there. I'm kidding. Um, but really there are. Um, and it's Shoreline City. Pastors are, the, are Earl and Onika, and they are amazing people. They are known for being the happiest, bubbliest, like most welcoming environment you'll ever experience in your entire life. And they reach the next gen unlike any church I've ever seen. I recently started attending this church um, after being at my church for six years, transition due to lack of community and had a great conversation with my pastors. But as I started joining and getting involved at Shoreline, I noticed some things that they did that were really interesting to me in their culture. Uh, one of the things that they often say, this was posted on their Instagram, meet me here on earth that is as it is in heaven, culture by design. They use that language all the time. It's like culture by design. They talk about it on stage. We, we are intentional about our culture here. We do it on purpose. Yes, I'm not going to lie. Everything's really cool, really Instagrammable. It looks great, but that's not their motive and their heart behind it. But they're unashamedly talking about how we create culture here. Uh, my roommate, she uh, actually went through the, the membership process. She's a member at their church and she serves. She wakes up and gets to church at 7 a.m. and serves till 1 p.m. on Sundays, four Sundays a, a month. Why? Because culture by design. She's like, I love being there in the morning. Everyone's so happy. Everybody wants to know what's going on in my day. I don't mind setting up and tearing down at our campus. It's so much fun. Everybody's so happy. Everybody's asking me questions. She said that in the morning huddle, they do a huddle right before service, get all of the, the volunteers together, and they get everybody pumped up to for church. It's literally like before going to a practice at a game before, you know, you know, when you're young and you like have the music going and and uh, you're playing and everyone's like doing layups and warming up before the big game. They literally create that environment at the church before service. And if anybody's new that's serving for their first time, she said her first time serving, she's pretty introverted, kind of quiet and shy. 
they were like, everybody give it up for Sydney. They're like, she's here today. And she was like, oh my gosh, like everyone's yelling for me and so excited. But they are so intentional about celebrating you serving and being there. One thing that they do that I thought was crazy is they have this thing called all in. And so every service, they at the end of service, they do um, what most churches do. They do, a, you know, bow your head, close your eyes. If you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand and, you know, say the prayer after me, blah, blah, blah. What's unique about them is after they say the prayer, they say, if you prayed that prayer, and if you're serious about your relationship with Jesus, we're asking you for one year here. And they say, give us a year. We want you to give us a year of your life. We want you to get plugged in. We want you to, your next step is growth track. Come attend growth track. After growth track, come serve here. I can't tell you how many people I've met who have the volunteer stickers on. And I'm like, hey, how are you? Uh, Like, how long have you been here? I just celebrated my one year or I'm six months into my one year. I'm two months into my one year. I actually chose to three days ago. It's my one year and I'm just now starting my one year here. They blatantly ask, give us a year. This is a a promotional thing they do when when you get baptized. They celebrate and say, you're all in with Jesus. Like they make it a big deal to be all in all the way with him. Another thing they do in their growth track, which is unbelievable to me, um, which happens four times a month. So first, second, third, fourth. um, It's only two sessions. But in their growth track workbook, One of the first things they do before you can start serving is they ask you, are you tithing 10% of your income? And if you aren't, they have you meet with a financial advisor at the church. And then they say, are you working out three times a a week at minimum? And if you aren't, they, they connect you with a personal trainer at the church who volunteers that way to help get you on a plan to work out and eat well. They are so intentional about coaching the next generation on how to live on mission and live on God's design. They don't shy away from it. After your first quarter of serving, they actually sit down with you and check in and they look at your giving. They're like, hey, you actually didn't give your 10%. What do we need to do to help you? Do you need some help managing your finances? Because this is what God's word says to do. Like, It's a very unique model, but it works. There are so many young people that are investing in this church, belonging in this church, building membership and community. And I have the honor of knowing the pastors, met with several of their staff, and they say, we measure our success by saying, are these people finding friends and community? Are we seeing lost people saved? Are we seeing people actually not being lukewarm Christians, just saying they believe in Jesus, but actually living a full life on mission for Jesus? And so this is another way. I think a lot of people make the assumption that we don't, as young people, want you to be real with us or coach us or um, hold us accountable. But actually, studies have shown that when you celebrate a, a child's success by saying, you're amazing, you're unbelievable, I can't believe you scored so awesome on this test, versus telling that child, wow, you put in a lot of hard work, and you, it seems like you worked really hard for this, and it seems like you trained really hard for this, and that's unbelievable. Keep working hard. The child who you you keep affirming the hard work and you keep affirming the actions, they actually will have exponential success in comparison to the other. And so it's the same model for us. We need coaching. We did, we're a fatherless generation. We need that kind of one-on-one discipleship. Okay, going quick. So programming culture. A lot of you guys have programs already in your church. Um, Another massive church in Dallas, Watermark, um, an amazing church. They have unbelievable programs. They have so many that are just 
unreal that you can go to. I mean, Mother's Day out, we see those moms every Tuesday rolling up, rolling out with 15 kids in tow. I mean, it's insane. I don't know how they do it. But one of their amazing programs that Grant actually was a part of um, is called Regen. It's like a 12-step program. What they do, which is unreal, um, is they have they have a huge. <laughs> I'll explain in a minute. He didn't. He. I'll explain why they have a huge young adult ministry called the Porch. I'm sure many of you have heard about that. They have three thousand plus young adults that come every Tuesday night to hear a message, and it has always been that way since I've lived in Dallas for twelve years. It's never changed. They encourage these these young people to not only get into a small group, but they encourage them to go to their program region. And it's not just for people that struggle. When we think of region, when I think of going to that, what do you think of when you think of a person that goes to something like region? Like a celebrate recovery. Yeah. Addicts. Dysfunctional, maybe divorced addicts. I mean, you think of that kind of person, they actually market it to their young singles and say, you need to go to this. And I currently am discipling a girl who's in it. An amazing 25-year-old girl who's unbelievable, and she's struggling with perfectionism and people-pleasing. And she's learning that now at 25 and going through this 12-step program to find freedom in that as a single. There's so many singles that go through this, and they go through it because the church markets it towards them and tells them, hey, if you want to, you want to live a healthy life, you want to live a healthy marriage, you want to break cycles, this is something you need to be a part of. And something that I just want to share quickly that I don't think our generation does, um, which is unbelievable to me, is just this past week, I sat across the table from her and they do a thing called inventory in their program. And it's where you have to give inventory of your sin. And no matter how dark it is, no matter what it is, and you have to confess that sin across the table from someone and tell them that sin. And that is the most vulnerable thing you can do, period. But how many young people do you know are being prompted to take inventory of their sin, confess it to another believer. That believer show them grace, love, acceptance, preach the gospel to them, remind them of their identity in Christ and the importance of clinging to the cross and recognizing that it's not against our own, not not by anything but faith and grace that we are saved and that we can walk in the righteousness of Christ. That does not happen with many young people. And so I'm positive that many of you have programs that you're not thinking about. How can this program reach the next generation? How can I reinvent this program to get a young person in here and get into a discipleship relationship naturally? And Watermark does that unbelievably well. And merge, yes. Um, and merge is their marriage ministry. And a lot of couples actually go through that pre before pre-engaged. They go through that. They market it a lot to their singles. So before they're even engaged, they go through it. And then before marriage, they go through it as well if they are engaged. And I mean, these, what Watermark has a stance on this. I'm not sure where your church is, but anybody can go to Regen, whether you're a member or not. And anybody can go to Merge, whether you're a member of the church or not. So they see thousands of young people go through those. Okay, last one. We're blowing through these. Person-to-person culture. So maybe you don't have a ton of programs. Maybe you're not falling into this church sphere. But how do you intentionally implement discipleship and teach that to your staff as well on a day-to-day basis? So we're going to talk about possible places for inclusion. Super simple, super easy. On your personal life, it can be your morning routine, your workout, your hobbies, grocery shopping. Uh, With Ryan and Amanda, a thing that I did often with Amanda is I just 
right, drive to her house, go to the grocery store with her baby in tow and help her get groceries. The groceries take a long time. Now we have the whole Instacart thing and like Amazon delivers the groceries. It's so sad, but some of us really find the grocery store therapeutic, myself included. So I think too, a lot of older, like yourselves, you might love going to the grocery store, invite that young person with you who has time. So you're not actually wasting any of your time. They're just coming along for the ride and you get to have good conversation. You'd be amazed at the conversations you have at the grocery store, family life, family dinners. Um, my family personally had dinner at the table every night. My mom cooked and we waited for dad to get home. But as I got old, I realized I'm like one in a million. Um, Nobody does that anymore. Nobody did that growing up. So how amazing would it be if you just said to a young person in your life, hey, once a month on a Sunday, we'd love to have you over for dinner with our family to watch how you get your kids settled down to eat, to watch how you interact with your wife after a long day, to watch how you lead prayer, to watch how you put your kids to bed even like these are such simple discipleship moments that make a huge impact. Um, children's games or practices also huge. A lot of this generation did not have their parents even go to any games or practices or care. And and if you're an involved parent to have another young person watch that is unbelievable. Girls night, guys night, neighborhood get togethers. Um, and then your work life, um, speaking engagements. I'll, I'll, I'll give a plug because I'm a female who speaks. A lot of men don't invite females because there's a lot of taboo things there. Ask for an extra ticket than the one you get and bring two females and have them both come with you as a male. And ask if you're if you ask your wife to come and then bring that girl to come with you and make opportunity. But don't just invite the same people you always do. Keep a rotating thing of that strategic meetings. Let them be a fly on the wall. Just communicate to them. You can sit on in this meeting, but you can't actually talk. But that's a huge discipleship moment projects, conferences, and then your church life, volunteering, mission trips, small groups, message prep is huge. You'd be amazed at how many people get this mic and have no idea how to prep a message. It'd be really helpful if you would even just sit with them and show them how you prepare and study the word before you actually get on stage. Um, yeah. And that's it. I'm going to be done because we, we've got to wrap it up, but we're going to do a Q and A. Uh, and if you can keep it to questions uh, and not comments, and we'll do any comments you have, let's just we'll stay after. But if only questions uh, for now. I was wondering if you could finish with what you were saying. I did. So yeah. Okay. So she asked uh, finishing the thought about this not skinny jeans. So what would should we do? It was just I would say start with discipling one person. If you've never discipled anyone, disciple one person. If you discipled one, then uh, and one key caveat quickly I would say is sooner than later, and while you discipled that one. Give them a deadline for when they need to start discipling someone else as well. Because the best time to ask for the hardest things is before they ever commit to it. Uh, so they know what to expect. Yes, ma'am. On, I'm the have merge, you. on the merge one, do you have books on marriage, on teaching marriage? We, we do teaching marriage. So yeah, so uh, Watermark has a conference called like CLC. I think it's Christian Leadership Conference where they actually like show everyone how they do merge the porch. Um Regen um, and so all that, but merge at Watermark. I think if you would reach out to them, they would have some type of guide on how they create that ministry. Another question? Yes. So, like, we're obviously here because we get it. We're in this room because we understand, but I think a lot of us probably have teams back home uh, with people on that don't get it and don't see the problem. 
uh, what's a good tip for us to be able to communicate that with those teams? Would you say like the importance of discipleship or just focusing more on the next generation? Focusing on the next generation. Bring a young person with you to some of your meetings. Start bringing someone along with you if you have a female on your team too. Um, and just say, hey, I'm, I'm discipling this person that's younger. They're hungry. They're just going to sit here and watch. And then they're going to ask you questions. Why are you doing that? And I think that will start the conversation of because we've got to reach the next generation. Uh, I'm a big, like, winning people over through, like, kindness leads people to repentance. Um, and I'm a big believer of, like, the fivefold ministry that God did give apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And there's still lowercase apostolic gifting and lowercase prophet gifting and i would say my bent is prophetic in the sense of uh teachers highlight the word like tim keller tony evans they they teach us things like we're like i've read that verse since i was a kid i never saw that prophets do point to the word but they point to our heart in light of the word um and show us how short we how much we fall short like yeah i'm gonna (laughs) i always make fun of francis chan because he's totally a prophetic voice because he never preaches anything new he just always is like Guys, I just don't know. I just feel like this is what the Bible says, and this is where our heart is, and, and I just can't, can we just get here? Can we just do this? Like, I don't want it to be this way, but I just, we're going to be in heaven, and the angels are going to be like, holy, holy, holy. And so, he's like, he's a very convicting guy. Um, but like, I don't think he would say I'm a prophet, and I don't want to say he's a prophet, but I, he has a prophetic bent of like calling us to repentance. And I say that to say, uh, this next generation, I think, is very attracted to those kind of leaders. And so you being a young leader, like we want to go in and like even look at the guys that we were attracted to, uh, younger people. A lot of young people were attracted to, especially starting about 10 years ago, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, David Platt, Francis Chan. These guys that are like shouting, cussing, crying like they're they're passionate. And so my point is, I think I have to fight that for me. I use humor mm-hmm. while saying hard things. As um, a couple of tips, I would say, yeah, however you can teach the younger generation, which I'm sure you do, like, guys vocally honor the older generation in this church. Like, let them know. I even, when I had my program that had 72 young leaders, it was like, one of the things was write a letter to the older people in this church that have ever done one thing that really <coughs> you saw and noticed. Because we want them to notice us. Like, what have they done? And it's a big deal to get a letter like that, especially if it's someone on staff, like, just encouraging them because they don't get that in general, let alone from young people through a letter form. Oh my God. That's like a unicorn to do that. And so like um, just things, I do think that's huge to bring someone younger with you, but creating a culture of honor um, has really won over so many older generations where they're like, you don't look like us and you look like you would be about this, this and that, but you like really do want to be around the older generation. It's kind of like tricking them into discipleship in a sense. Um, so I was wondering, okay, so you've created disciple or you've created a culture of discipling and like programs and do all this stuff. What do you find is most effective with getting people in the door? Because um, I feel like a lot of... Of the church or in the relationship? Like into the church itself. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, myself and a bunch of my other friends who have like led campus ministries around um, the country, what worked five years ago is not working today. And... I don't think taking out one-on-one evangelism is really the answer, but it seems to not be as effective as it was. So what do you think is the best way to get people in the doors so they can experience those programs? And excitement and worship. I'll say one in two sentences is 
I think the whole mantra of come as you are was an adaption to like, we're doing church and you expected to wear Sunday's best. Then it became come as you are. And now it needs to be go where they are. Like, mm. um, we'll talk about the missional millennial. Uh, we have a lot on this week or today on missional. We'll talk how to be that. But, um, I just think we're going to have to get back to the Acts church where it is actually church becomes a launching pad and a pit stop where we're just trying to get them back into the race. Um, And the more they are individually connecting in the culture and in the world, and the more we highlight those that are in the marketplace and leverage them as missionaries, um, because Jesus picked 12 people and he didn't pick any Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, no religious leaders to use. He used all people in the culture. Uh, that changed the world. And so, uh, and then they started to want to join. But it, I think that approach of not come as you are, but go where they are. Yeah, I was going to literally say that. I would just add to it um, that make it part of your mission and your language on a Sunday. Um, at Shoreline, one thing they say is we want to get as many people on the boat as possible. And they say we don't want people that are hanging on to the boat or that they're they're almost on, but then they fall off. we got to pull people from the water into the boat. They use that language all the time. They've done a series all year called Mobilize. And so every week they're saying, how are we how are we mobilizing our city? Who are you bringing? Like our big women's conference is coming up next weekend. And I, I literally bought two tickets for friends, 60 bucks. But I'm like, they're talking about it every week. And like who someone needs to come and they need, they're going to hear Jesus. I'm like, who do I know that doesn't know Jesus? I need to find somebody right now. Like it's, it becomes part of the culture to be like, I've got to get out there and do it. So I think making that your language as well. Thank you guys. Uh, this is the end. Yeah. Uh, we'll Sorry. Come on up. Several breakouts and we'll be around to talk and hang out. Love y'all. Yeah. Thank you guys. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to check out the resource we mentioned at the beginning of the episode called Leaving a Legacy, which you can download for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks. May God bless you as you make disciples who make disciples, even among those of the next generation.